Uh, this morning we're going to finish our series on God the Father. Um, we've talked about several attributes of God thus far. Uh, so far we've explored how God is holy or set apart. Uh, there's none like Him. We've also talked about how He is sovereign, uh, meaning uh, that He's in control, right? And last week we took a look at His compassion. And this weekend we end with another attribute of God. And then this attribute is one that I think is hard for us as humans to really wrap our minds around. And it's one of those things that we're truly unable to understand about God because we have no frame of reference for it. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the attribute of God that I believe shows how amazing God is. To start our discussion this morning, let's take a look and an encounter that Moses had with uh, God in Exodus. So if you uh, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 this morning. And while you're getting there, our uh, passage takes place in the desert. Moses had grown up in Egypt uh, and had seen the horrible ways that the Egyptians were treating his people. Uh, the Hebrews, and after trying to take matters into his own hands, Moses kills an Egyptian after witnessing him mistreating a Hebrew. And then so after that, Moses flees Egypt and ends up in the desert where he finds his wife and making, makes a living uh, alongside his father-in-law. And that's where we kind of start with when we're on our passage this morning. Uh, take a look with me at verse 1. We'll read through 15. It said, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Egypt or people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What's his name? 
And then I, what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. This is one of those Bible stories, I think that when we read through it, we're so familiar with it that we miss some really key points into it. We can tend to gloss over some pretty important details. More than that, it's more than what meets the eye. Uh, Take a look at, particularly, verses 14 and 15. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now God says something here in verse 14 that sounds kind of weird to us. He simply says, I am who I am. And to us reading in our English translation, this sounds like God just being kind of like a smart aleck, right? I am who I am, right? At least that's how I read it. And Moses asked God, who should I say sent me? What name should I give the people? And you aren't going to get anything from me. I am who I am, you know? Uh, But there's so much more than what meets the eye in this statement of I am who I am. The Hebrew word here is, and I'm probably going to botch this up, so hopefully nobody in here is taking Hebrew. Eh, yeah. I am who I am. Eh, yeah. And it actually means I will be. God then gives Moses his personal name, because it would be kind of weird for Moses to say that I will be has sent me to you. And God gives the name Yahweh, which means he will be. In this name, God is saying this. He is the one who has always been and the one who always will be. He is. When the word Yahweh is in the text, uh, our English translations usually translate it as Lord with the smaller capitals. You'll see that instead of having L-O-R-D with regular small caps, it'll have all large caps. When you see that, that is where Yahweh would have been in the text. Um, So, and it's different. Don't get confused. It's different with then, you know, when the Bible says Lord of Lords or just simply Lord, when it says Lord in all caps, it's talking about Yahweh. Okay? Um, So why is that different? Why is it Lord instead of Yahweh? Uh, There's a really good reason for that. So the Jewish people held the name of God in very high esteem. And so they would not say it aloud. Instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai or Lord. And so, as a matter of fact, they went so far as not to even write it all the way out. And they simply wrote it out, Y-H-W-H. Then, so that they didn't accidentally say the name when they were reading it, they took the vowels out of Adonai 
and smash them together with the word, uh, with the consonants from Yahweh, and ended up with a word that looked like Yahweh, which is where we get Jehovah, which is just interesting. That really is kind of a, a freebie this morning, but I wanted to, you know, A, look like I was very well learned, and B, you know, give you some, some knowledge there. But, but this name Yahweh, he will be. In this single name, Yahweh, he will be God reveals something that separates him from the crowd. You see, God is revealing that he is not because of anything else. He is because he is. And this is where it kind of gets trippy with me. So, so stick with me. We're, we're, we're getting there. He is because he is. And that really boggles our created minds, right? This is what separates the creator from the created. We're going to learn a new word today. Okay, so it was, it was new to me. It might be new to you, but it was new to me. Um, the word is aseity. And I looked this word up because, well, I saw it in my studies this week and I didn't know what it meant. Uh, so aseity is the quality or state of being self-derived or self-originated. When God created, time began. God created time. He works outside of time because God is the creator of time. He stands above it, but is able to interject and enters freely to do his will. Now, like I said, for us created beings, we work on time. That's all we understand is time. And so that really boggles our mind when we think of a timeless God, a God who always was and always will be. There's no beginning, there's no end. I like how Warren Wiersbe says it. He says, the, the self-existent one, he is the self-existent one who always is and always will be the faithful and dependable God who calls himself, I am. So because of this, we see some things about God. Number one, that he has no beginning and no end. Take a look with me at Revelation chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come the Almighty One. God was and is and will always be. So let me tell you a quick story. I, I, I use a lot of what happens in life to, uh, as, as examples when I teach or when I preach. Uh, Ryan does this too, I'm sure. But uh, yesterday, Amanda and I spent the afternoon bailing water from our basement. Uh, our sump pump that was old when we bought the place about nine years ago, finally decided to give up the ghost uh, and was literally dead in the water. Um, <laughs> so now, let me tell you, I'm reminded, uh, I'm reminded of how out of shape I truly am, uh, hauling 40 gallons of water in a bucket up the stairs. Um, but after getting over the initial resentment uh, that my sump pump had failed me uh, and had failed and this is not how I wanted to spend my afternoon, it hit me. Well, number one, that gray water really stinks. It was gross. <laughs> it was gross. Uh, but more importantly, after that, I thought this is a perfect illustration for my sermon. Nothing lasts forever. 
That sump pump had a beginning, and I had witnessed it, its end, okay? Um, we humans even have a beginning. We are created beings. We have not always been, and our bodies have a beginning and they have an end. Our spirits may live on eternally, but we have a beginning. We are not an infant. We are not, we are not because of us. Does that make sense? God is because he is. But we're finite beings. And we are because he is. I know it's, it's trippy to me too. Um, <laughs> so in Revelation, we see God once again declaring his, his eternality. He will be irrespective of and outside of time. He is. The, number, the second thing we see is he does not change. He is and therefore is never going, there's never going to be a time where he is not. I'm going to say that again. He is and there's never going to be a time where he's not. Take a look at uh, Malachi chapter 3 with me. Malachi is that uh, book right before you get to the New Testament. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says this, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. God tells them here that he's unchanging. And his promises are good. And that's why they're not already consumed, because they were not so faithful. Right? We see the faithfulness of God. The other thing we see is he's equally conscious of past, present, and future. We're not going to dwell on this one too much, but I think we need to talk about it some. There's never a time in something happening that God does not know about and did not already know was coming. And I don't know about you, but that is, that is something that's comforting. That I know that my God is so big and, and He sees what's happening. He knows what's going to be. He's already there. He is and will always be. He's not limited and he's not, he can see the entire span of time. Nothing, nothing comes as a surprise to God. That's what, that gives me such hope. That, you know, yes, yesterday I was quite surprised when there was water standing in my basement. But God is not surprised, right? You're not going to come up against something in life and God go, oh, shoot, I didn't see that coming. Right? He always has a plan, and he always knows what's going on. The other thing we see about God is he is not limited by the passing of time and what he can accomplish. God has made, had made a promise to Abraham to bring his people into the land of Canaan. And by the time that he did that, finally, was years. The people of Israel waited years to get into that land. And I'm sure that there were Israelites in Egypt while they were being tortured and they were being persecuted 
that wondered if God would ever make good on his promise. And fulfill that promise that he had made uh, to their ancestors. Take a look with me at 2 Peter 3. This is a study Bible, so it has a few extra pages for me to work with. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Our idea of timing is not always what God's idea of timing is. Uh, He knows when it's best to move. And in our finite minds, in our scope of what we can see of time, right? we can see what's going on right now, and we have no idea of the future. We might have some idea of the past. But God sees the span of time and, and knows when the right time to act, and He's not limited by that time to make good on His promises. So why does that all, all that matter to us? Because God is eternal and never changes. This matters greatly, and this speaks of his faithfulness. Take a look with me. Let's go back to Exodus real quick. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 23 through 25. It says this, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their own burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people and knew it was time to act. You know, Ryan read this passage to us last week, and when we're talking about the compassion of God, he was moved with compassion because of the the turmoil his people were in. But I want to kind of look at this at a different angle this morning. God not only had compassion on his people, but he remembered his promise. At the time, I'm sure the people felt forgotten by God. They were going through slavery, but they were never forgotten. He had never left them. He was right there. He was. And he showed them, not only was he, but he is and will always be there for them. God is faithful to his promises. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 9, Moses would go on to say this. Understand, therefore, that the Lord, your God, is indeed God. He is faithful. 
He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. We can trust him because he is and he'll always be. We can, we can trust that he's going to be there for us. Have you ever had somebody promise you something that they were simply not able to deliver on? And it may not even been their fault, but they couldn't make good on their promise. You know, people and things like my sump pump, uh, and that, that's probably the only time you'll hear the word sump pump in a, in a sermon. So, um, but anyway, things fail us. People fail us. But God is different. His promises are not affected by anything else. He doesn't rely on anyone else to fulfill those promises. When God makes a promise, it is a promise on His own character. He makes that promise, and He is able to fulfill that promise. Because He's not dependent upon anybody else to help Him do it. Acts chapter 17 says this in verse 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need. From one man He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand that they should rise and fall, and, be determined, and He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to ask or to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him though he is not far from any one of us for in him we live and we move and exist and as some of your own poets have said we are his offspring and since this is true we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world and justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Uh, Paul was talking to uh, the group in Athens about this unknown God that they had an altar for. And he says, look, this, this unknown God that you, you, you're worshiping, this, he's far beyond these other idols because he's not created. He is. He's Yahweh. And he doesn't need us. He doesn't need help. He is solely sufficient on his own. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, and I think about how many things in this world that let us down, and, and with the state of the world as it is right now, 
how unsure things are. To think that there is a God who loves us and who is there for us and is never going to fail us. I don't know about you, but that's something I can hold on to. And he's promised that. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And he can make good on that promise because he's not going anywhere. And I don't know about you, but that, that gives me hope. When God makes a promise, he can hang, we can hang on to that promise. He is faithful. And just like the, the children of Israel, sometimes we can't see that where we're at. We're looking at our circumstances and we're looking at what's going on in life and we think, God, where are you? But he's never left. He's not going to run out of time. He's not going to fail. He's not going anywhere. And he's not going to get hit with a curveball in life. He will be Yahweh. And the same God that created all things, just as Paul says in the passage we read, has set a day of judgment. Uh, Paul talks about this in this passage that we just read. And just as faithful as he is with his promises of blessing, right? he's faithful with his promises of justice and judgment. And we all must repent of our sins and be baptized and ready for the day when Jesus returns because he's promised his return. And whether we, we, you know, believe it's, and we believe it's soon, right? Like, he will come back for us one day. And that's, that's a promise that we can hold on to. So this morning, as, as the band comes back up, I want to offer that invitation to anyone who's not made Christ their Lord and Savior. And I would love to talk to you about that. Uh, I'll be up front here. And if you've never made Christ your Lord and you want to make that next step, now's the time. Today's the day to put your faith in in God and, and to put your faith in a God who never changes, who is always there, and who always will be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. God, we praise you for just who you are. God, that you don't, you don't need our help. You don't rely on anything but who you are. And God, we, we pray that if there's anybody in who has, who's never accepted you as their Lord and their Savior, God, that they would come to you today and know that it's, this is a free gift of salvation. This is nothing that we've done. This is all you. And all we have to do is accept it. And God, we, we thank you for your promises. Your promises that you make and those promises that we know you, you will fulfill. Because you're faithful. And we praise you for that faithfulness. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.